If you'll please read with me, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Natali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Now notice the fours. There's three of them. Verse 4. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian, the second four. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire, the third four. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your zeal. You're not a passive God. You're you're not a God of the deist. You're not a God that just created everything, spun it in emotion, and went on holiday. You are a zealous God to accomplish a work. You're, You're so zealous that that zeal propelled you to send your own son to accomplish your will amongst men. And that zeal is the fuel of missions as you give us a promise of what you will do. God, and as your people, we not only want to trust you for our salvation, the promises of salvation, but God, we want to step out and trust the promises that your kingdom will expand because you're zealous for it. Oh God, increase our faith. Give us vision how to be invested in your kingdom now, how to pour our lives out, Lord. And we can do that because of the hope we have in the promise that you've given us. Lord, let your Holy Spirit work powerfully in the hearts and the minds of the believer now. In Jesus' name, amen. Some have said that hope is half the And when hope is lost, the battle is lost. So you imagine the great disadvantage of a soldier who's going into battle like the battle, say, of Gallipoli, and they know they're going to lose. They know they're going to lose their life. They know death is certain. Or a runner who's going to a race where she knows that she's not going to win. Maybe she's got an injury. She's probably not even going to finish the race. Or you, when you go on a job interview and you realize the deck is stacked against you because the person who's interviewing you, her son is also interviewing, and it's a done deal. You see, without hope, In almost any situation, defeat and slothfulness is usually certain. That is why our society is always looking for people, for systems, for possessions, 
for human ideas to give a shred of hope to motivate us to action. I'll say it like this. No one is trying to sneak across the border in Venezuela because there's no hope, there's no promise of a better life in Venezuela, yet America is thinking of putting up fences because of the promise of a better life that our country offers. You see the necessity of hope and promise. Promise gives us hope to act, to be bold, to attempt great things, to not be afraid to fail. And when our faith is sunk into the promises of the gospel that God has given us, we have a new boldness to invest our lives into the work of his kingdom fearlessly. One of my heroes is a woman named Jenny Chalmers. She and her husband in the 1800s were missionaries in Papua New Guinea. His name was James Chalmers. And it was an incredibly difficult work because they were dealing with cannibals. And they had a boat that they had acquired, and they would, Papua New Guinea is a collection of islands, and so they would go around the islands, and they would preach the gospel to these cannibals together. And the boat was called the Mari. One time, as they're on shore, uh, the natives take a canoe out, and they want to capture their boat. Well, there's a few people still on their boat. The captain, there's a scuffle on the boat, and a native dies. James and Jenny Chalmers go back, and they get the native. They, they bring him back to the village, and there's an eruption, an absolute eruption of anger. That night, as they're in their tiny little hut, someone comes to him, a local, and they said, tomorrow morning you'll die if you don't leave tonight. That's what they told James Chalmers. So they had a small meeting that night, and James sat down with his wife, and he said this, It is for you to decide, do you go, Jenny, or do you stay with us? Jenny quickly chimed in, we've come here to preach the gospel and do these people good. God will take care of us. We will stay. If we die, we die. If we live, we live. Jenny Chalmers, a hero of mine, an orphan from the U.K., gave her life into the mission field. Soon after that event, she died in a hospital in Australia alone, separated from her family back in the UK, separated from her husband who was trying to get to her from Papua New Guinea in a country she'd never been in. Now she's in a grave there. And people would say, when they look at her life, what a waste. She wrote no books. She left no memoirs. She had no children. She led no great work or revival. She just was on a boat preaching the gospel to a few cannibals. And when I read her story, I asked, how do you do that? How do you leave all your comforts behind and go and even leave the comfort of your husband behind to go? And the answer is because her faith was deeply invested in the promise of God, that God is so zealous to save the nations that he gave his own son as a surety and a promise that it would happen. And it's in that surety and promise that she stood and that she died. Now, my friends, Isaiah 9, we have this amazing text that we read at Christmas every year, right? To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. 
But it's not just a statement that God's Son is coming into the world to save people. It's no less than that. It's much more. It's also a promise to you and to me of the increase of his kingdom. There will be no end until Christ comes again. Why? The zeal, the passion of God will do this. In other words, the God that we worship has a red, hot passion and zeal that did not just bring Jesus into the world to die for sinners to save them, but also to accomplish a kingdom of salvation for his Son. Now, I want to ask you, what would compel you to boldly, fearlessly invest your time, your resources, your energy, your life into mission, into outreach, whether it's local like VBS here or our school or scholarship or it's overseas, rather than just investing the money in material comfort? And the answer is the gospel promise gives you hope and it gives you courage that God is zealous and he's active in saving people from Dothan to Papua New Guinea through faith in the Messiah, and that he promises that this will continue and increase until Christ comes again. The same zeal that determined to give his son for the people to be saved will also save a people for his son. Here's the main idea this morning. Because of God's zealous promise, we must faithfully engage in missional living. Because of God's, let me say that again. (laughs) Because of God's zealous promise, we must faithfully engage in missional living. And that can look like a lot of things. Okay, now I need to set the stage before we dive in in verses 2 to 5. Just a, a touch of background to help you understand what's going on that this child would come. In China, they have a saying that goes something like this. That the further you are from the Beijing, the capital of communism there, the less you are under the shadow of communism. The further you are from Beijing, the less or further you are from the shadow of communism. Now that's what's happening here in verses 2 to 5. The area that he's talking about is Galilee, and, and the heart of that is Zebulun and Naphtali, those two territories. They were the frontier of Israel. They were the ones that were the outer banks, you might say, exposed to the darkness of the world. They were the ones that were always invaded. They suffered the most with the wars, like with Syria and Assyria, because that's where it always started. And spiritually, they were the darkest, even sacrificing to their children, to the gods of the nations. And now God is saying, these people who are on the outer frontier of my kingdom— who've experienced the most darkness and suffering and are consumed in darkness now, light will come to them and joy like a harvest. Verse 3, joy like a harvest. Then he tells us how, and he gives three fours. You see that there? Verse 4, 5, and 6. It starts with the word four. For the rod of the oppressor will be broken, which means In the same way God broke the rod of Egypt who oppressed Israel, he's going to break the rod of the oppressor. 
The second four, every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. So that there will be a battle and God's people, the, the casualties will be so much that boots and garments will be bloody on the battlefield and we'll have to heap them up and there'll be a great burning is what he means there. So what he's saying is he's going to bring them out of political bondage and bring them into freedom. But there's a third four, and a very important four, about the Messiah. Verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Here we see how light will come to Galilee. My friends, as I was chewing on this week, it hit me for the first time, where was the heart of Christ's ministry? It was to the area that had been struck with the most darkness and suffering. Galilee, the outer skirts. Matthew 4, verse 12 and 13 says it like this. Now when he heard that John had been raised, he withdrew to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun, Naphtali. The bulk of Christ's ministry was in Galilee. The messianic hope first came to the area that had been destroyed the most by darkness and suffering. Now, this section then closes with verse 8. Look with me. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And when I read that, you say, okay, what's the zeal of the Lord going to do? The the sun is coming. He's coming to bring light in Galilee. But what's he going to do? Two things that God's zeal are going to accomplish. Here's first. What will the zeal of God do? Number one, the zeal of God will send his son to be our prince of peace. Verse six, look in your Bibles with me. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now the same person, the prophet, he told us about in chapter 7. You remember that? Son will be born of a virgin and his name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Now he's telling us more about who this person is. And he gives us four names which really mean four attributes of who this Messiah is going to be. This child. First, wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor. The, the word wonderful in the Hebrew literally means it reveals the wonders of God. It's a great word. It shows the wonders of God. So when Israel crossed the Red Sea, they said this was a wonder. This was a wonder what God has done. And when they say that the Messiah, this child, will be a wonderful counselor, what they're saying is, in his counsel, in his teaching, you will experience the wonder of God. In other words, in the same way you might look up and see the stars, maybe through a telescope, and just marvel at the wonder of God. Or you look at something very small in a, in a microscope, and you marvel at the wonders of God. So the counsel, the words, the teaching of Jesus also will be the wonder of God. Now, why is that? Second, because he is mighty God. This is, this is hard to wrap your mind around if you're not a believer. Mighty God here means hero God. 
And it's very important. It's a very important word used here. It's El. El. That's the common word for God in the Old Testament. So, we said a few weeks ago, the Messiah will be born of a virgin, and he will be called Emmanuel. You see that? Emmanuel. That is God with us. And here's the same word, that God will be mighty God, El Gabor. God, mighty, God, hero, becoming a child. So it's the traditional name of God that's used here. All the way back to Deuteronomy, we see this name used. This child will be God with us. He will be the mighty God. So the reason he counsels and speaks such wonders is because he's not just a son. He is the mighty God. Third, everlasting Father. And we need to stop right here. Okay, Rusty, is that teaching that the Messiah is the same as God the Father? No. For one, the early church denounced this heresy. It's called modalism. It's not the Messiah's role that he's speaking about here. Please catch this. It's his character. It's his work amongst his people. He will be an everlasting father in his treatment of his people and his shepherding of them for all eternity. He will shepherd you like a father. Jesus talks about this. Let me read you John 14, verse 9 and 10. Listen. Have I been with you so long, and still you don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? Jesus is the great God revealer. And part of revealing God's character is revealing him as Father. And that's exactly how he treats his people for all eternity. Last attribute of this child is Prince of Peace. As the son of God the Father, he is called the Prince of Peace. And people have looked at this and they've said, okay, well, why do we still have wars? I I thought the Prince of Peace has come. Why is there still battle? Why do I still argue with my wife? Well, two things. One is he makes peace between you and God. And secondly, he brings peace, John 14, into your life through the Holy Spirit. Now, how does he do that? Well, he goes to battle. He removes the very thing that destroys our peace in our heart and with God. Human sin. There can be no peace with God until human sin is dealt with. And Christ brings the believer into a position of peace with God, the king of all things, because he took the punishment of that sin on the cross. But there's more to it. John 14, Jesus says, Peace I give to you, believer. Peace I leave with you. Not like the world gives peace do I give it to you. It's the Holy Spirit. Because you have peace with God, the Spirit is in you if you're a follower, and it gives us remarkable peace. The fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. 
Now, there's one more thing here that can't be missed, verse 6. For to us, you see that? You've got to catch those words. For to us, a child is born. You might say it like this. For to you, a child is born. To you, a child has been given. A father at Christmas is sitting with his family as they exchange presents. And I was invited several years ago to this home to watch this event. And one of the sons who's a non-Christian is there. And it's been a source of difficulty in the whole family. And this son, Paul, he pipes in and says, Dad, I've got a present for you. And the father is somewhat surprised. The son goes and he goes to the back room and he brings out a small bag. It's not a very pretty wrapping job. And he hands it to the father. And he says, here. The father's a little bit stunned. He takes the garbage bag off the top. And it's pine cones. Six pine cones. And the father says, oh great, pine cones. And then the son says, dad, I know that you are a gardener. And, it, and I was with some mates on a lake, and I saw the most unusual pine tree and the most beautiful pine cones. And I climbed that tree, and I picked six of them, and I brought them back. I kept them in storage, and I want you to have them. Now, that father loved those pine cones. Pine cones in themselves are not a very good Christmas present. Please don't get me pine cones. But for this father... They were invaluable. Why? Because of the source of the gift and the effort the son went to to get them, to save them, to present them to the father. It was for an unbelieving son and showing his father he still loved him. My friends, with Christ, what makes his death so valuable is not just that a son of David died for us, but that God from all eternity chose us, gave us what was most precious and valuable to him, like giving you a Christmas present. He gave us his son, his own son, mighty God himself, the Prince of Peace, the Counselor of Wonder, the Eternal Father was given to you. So what will the zeal of God do? He will give us a prince to make peace between man and God. He will give us his son to counsel us in this life. He will give you his son to be an eternal father, to shepherd you now and for eternity. Now, point two. Point two. This same zeal that sent the Son also sends the believer into God's kingdom. Point two, the zeal of God will increase his kingdom. The zeal of God will increase his kingdom. Now, to understand this verse, you've got to understand that God had made a promise to Israel. I want to read it to you. 2 Samuel seven fourteen. This is to King David. He's talking about his son. I will be his father, he shall be my son, and the throne will be established forever. So there was an expectation that the Messiah, the Savior, was coming from the family of David, and he would be called God's son, 
and he would reign forever on the throne. Now read verse 7 with me. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You see those words? Increase, no end, establish, uphold. The Messiah's kingdom, the government of men will increase And that increase will never end. So it'll never stop growing. He will not just establish his church through the world. He will uphold his people in the most difficult times. And Christ, the son of David, reigns now at the Father's right hand, continuing that throne. And the promise here is it'll increase. It's not going to die God's salvation accomplished by the Son will continue to grow throughout the world. Now, that kingdom has two pillars. Look there in your Bibles with me. Notice those words, justice and righteousness. Remember the context is darkness flowing into Galilee. And now he's saying the light of the Messiah will come there. And not only there, it's going to spread. It's going to increase forever. And the pillars will be justice and righteousness. His people will live by his counsel, under his shepherding, and they will be pillars of justice and righteousness. And now lastly, he says, the zeal of God will do this. What will the zeal, the passion of God do? Missions. Here is God's promise to you to boldly attempt great things for Christ and his kingdom. He promises that the church will increase. He promises sitting on the throne that he will uphold his people and his church forever. He promises that this increase, this growth of the gospel will never end. The gospel message, the work of the Spirit bringing peace between God's man God in grace will never fail. Last few thoughts. Listen, you can boldly invest your time, your energy, your resources into God's kingdom because of this promise. What I'm telling you is you can pour yourself out over God's kingdom, whether it's here in Dothan being involved in VBS or teaching Sunday school or working in the nursery or working in the rescue mission because there is an incredible promise. And God says he's zealous for it. And that promise is I'm going to give my son for salvation to Galilee, but that salvation is going to increase. And when you step out and say, yes, I look to Christ for my salvation, but also I'm pouring myself out in the hope of God's promise. Lastly, we know how the story unfolds. A child was born to a virgin named Mary who lived where? In Galilee, a little town called Nazareth. And when the child was uh, uh, The angel came to Mary 
in Luke chapter 1, verse 32 and 33, before the child was born, and listen to what the angel says. He will be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Do you hear what the angel is saying? This is Emmanuel, God with us. This is mighty God that Isaiah told you was coming as a child. This is the Prince of Peace who would make peace between you and God. And every part of this amazing transaction are so filled up with the perfections of God that no more could ever be required of us to repent and believe. In other words, this child completely, totally accomplished the work of making peace between you and God. And all that's required of you to be part of that kingdom is to repent and believe. And as part of that kingdom, God then says to you, I am zealous for my son and for that kingdom to increase. Believe me, trust me, and pour your life out over the furtherment of the kingdom of Christ. Lord, I just praise you right now, and we worship you. Thank you that you're zealous, and we want to be zealous for the things that you're zealous about. Because the things you're zealous about are right. God, and it's the zeal of the Father that sent his Son to be mighty God and to accomplish a mighty salvation. Completely, totally, the Son of God, the fulfillment of all the promises to save a fallen man, woman who's lived in darkness, to bring light to us. We are part of that increase And we praise you for it, and we want to be part of a further increase. Lord, use us. Let us not trust in our own efforts, our own ability, but trust in your promise and in your Son. Use us to reach Dothan. Use us to reach our homes. Use us to reach our neighbors and to reach the ends of the world. And help us to trust your promise as we do that. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.